You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. Well, I'm going to spend, uh, we've got a long section of scripture and I want to make sure that we do it justice. And so I want to um, spend some time reading through it together. And uh, it's broken down into two sections. The end of chapter 4, starting in verse 14 through 16, and then uh, what will serve as kind of description as a description of those uh, verses from from chapter five, starting in verse one through ten. And so, read along uh, as you're looking at your um, Bibles. Look on the screen, but I'm going to read here, and then we'll uh, we'll dig in. Starting in verse fourteen of chapter four, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those, who, those of the people. And no one takes this honor on for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also, or as he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to talk about that later, so don't, don't be alarmed if you don't know what that is. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and be heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what, what, what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of our eternal salvation to all who obey him, being uh, designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I want to start with a story, and maybe I've told it to some of you, but it fits perfectly, so I'm going to go in with it again. So many years ago, I had uh, an invite, an opportunity to go to a NASCAR race. And if you've ever done this, this is way different than you're probably expecting. If you're a normal sports fan, uh, it was much larger, much louder, and more impressive than I could have thought. I'd never been and just maybe casually kept up with it, just being a general sports fan. But I, I, I was invited to go uh, to this uh, NASCAR race. And as I went, uh, we had some special passes because of the folks who uh, had uh, given uh, invited to go, and I got to go into the pit areas of all the NASCAR drivers, and it was one of the more fun experiences, And but there came a time before the race where everyone kind of got ushered away, and I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe we just got to kind of get out of here for now, and, and so I kind of followed the crowd, 
and we exit to the side and eventually that crowd goes into this building and as we're in this building uh, the door's shut and I come to realize that I am in the NASCAR drivers and crew chief meeting and there's no one else in there but the NASCAR officials the drivers the crew chief and me and my buddy and I had no right to be there. I was in a room that I had not earned uh, the, the privilege to be in, but I sure enjoyed it. It was amazing to be in there and see all these uh, folks that you had maybe heard their names or seen their faces before. And it was a, a pretty privileged experience to be in there, but I didn't fit. I wasn't supposed to be there. I, I, I was in a spot where I didn't earn it, but I loved it, right? And uh, from there, we exited. Now, here's the funny part. We exited, and this is where, like, the fans and the media were. And so I exit through this door, and I'm just kind of waving on the way out. Like, you know, one rule is if you're someplace you shouldn't be, you're supposed to just act like you're supposed to be there, right? And just kind of uh, did that and made our way back to the pit. So it was an amazing experience. But I tell that story because it fits perfectly uh, with where we're going today um, in Hebrews chapter 4, particularly in verse 16, it says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The idea that we would with confidence approach the throne room of God. Think about that. Walking into the throne room of God. There was a popular song uh, 10, 15 years ago, probably more than that now, uh, that, 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 that walked you through what would you feel like when you came face to face with Jesus? As you thought of that, would you uh, fall on your knees and worship? Would you run and jump? Would you rush uh, to the Lord? Would you just be overcome with emotion? And Oh, really, it's in a, in a pretty regular way. I have thought of that imagery um, many times in my own uh, time of, in the Word and, and, and in personal worship. Like, what would it be like when I am before the Lord? And I, um, I'm very humbled in that because I know I wouldn't fit there. I know that I wasn't supposed to be there. And... That overwhelms me when I think about the grace of mer and mercy of God. That I, that moment will come, and and I, in believing the gospel, and I'm told here in this verse that I should have confidence to approach the throne of grace. But I have everything but confidence because I'm aware of my own sinfulness and brokenness, and that that I don't deserve to be there. But that is the gospel. That is the truth of the gospel that, that I am allowed to be there because of the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is what we have to look forward to. And so as we unpack this, that really is the main message of Hebrews, that, that this great high priest, this Jesus, has done something so significant and magnificent that it puts him high above all others. And not only that, in that work, he has made a way for us to come into his presence. Not only now, but for all eternity. 
So let's look at verse 14. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let me stop there for a moment, that he has passed through the heavens. This language is used very intentionally. And the idea of high priest might seem strange to us, like we don't use that today. Even when we think of a priest, maybe we think of the folks across the street uh, might have a priest. We don't use that language or position in the same way. Uh, but here it says, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. So the idea of a high priest during the, um, the, the Old Testament time, the people of God, the Israelites, would have been as equivalent as, as any person of significance that you, you know. Like it would have been like saying the president. They would have known the high priest uh, by name, by position. It was the highest ranking religious official. And so it was, it was as when he says high priest here, it was uh, an obvious uh, statement of who and what that was and what that person did even though to us it seems a little strange. And so the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system, the high priest uh, did offerings and sacrifices on behalf of the people of God. And this language here where it says that he passed through the heavens was to speak specifically about the role of a high priest and what he did um, one time of year. So throughout the year offered sacrifices, but inside of the temple of God, there was uh, kind of a structure. And in that structure, there were broken into three parts. The, the outer part, the outer court, uh, this is the area that the majority of people would be able to come into. And then inside of that was a, a, a larger interner building. And in that room, there was a place called the holy place. And then uh, certain folks were allowed to go in there. And then at the back of that room was a giant uh, curtain, a, a giant uh, fabric thick curtain. And behind that was called the holy of holies. And this is where the presence of God, the glory of God existed. And no one was allowed to go in there except once a year, the high priest would be able to enter in there on the Day of Atonement. And he would make a very specific offering and sacrifice to the Lord on, on behalf of the people as a way to uh, cancel everything out. Kind of a, a clean slate moment when he would go in on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement and do this, uh, the sacrifice on behalf of the people. He would pass through the curtain. Well, here a statement is made, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, very direct intentional language that imagine this, God who has passed through the heavens and entered into creation through the incarnation, God with us, he lives a sinless life, comes to the place of the cross he defeats uh, death, but dying on the cross, experiences the glorious of the resurrection. So now re the resurrected, and then soon thereafter, ascends into heaven, is now seated on the throne. 
ruling and reigning for all eternity. So when you say he is passed through the heavens, it is a statement about the majestic, magnificent Jesus who is high above the high priest. There's only one person who can travel through the heavens. That is God himself. We have some rich billionaires right now that are trying to pass through the heavens and in some way to, I think, answer some things like this. They're not going to get there because there's only one. That is God himself who has entered into humanity and has ascended into heaven who now is the high priest. So we see uh, this uh, passing through the heavens as a statement of credibility of Jesus as high priest who has not only gone into the holy place because he is the holy one. He is the presence of God. And he has made a way. Now this is where it gets pretty exciting. He has made a way for us to enter in, to come into the holy of holies to come into the presence of God. I love uh, one of the classic passages uh, in, in all of Scripture. It comes in kind of John 14 to 16 where uh, it talks about where Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. And he says, I am going to take you to that place. Where I'm going, you will be with me also. So the idea that, that Jesus has prepared a place and he knows how to get us there. That's the idea. Jesus knows how to get us to the holy of holies, the most holy place, to the presence of God, the throne room of God. Jesus is saying, I know how to get you there. Pay attention to me. Follow me. And with this passage, we hear the next statement. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to our confession. The confession is this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Let us hold fast to the confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is our high priest, that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus is the Messiah. Let us hold fast to the gospel, the confession of our faith. And Jesus now introduced as our high priest, let us Hold fast to him. Hebrews 7 says this. He ascended far above all the heavens as though he passed through the heavens, raised, ascended, and is seated on the throne. And so when we maintain this confession, we are at that moment receiving that promise that we will go where he is going. So our confession gives us a great incentive. Let us continue to hold fast. This is going to be great. You want to persevere to the end. You want to stand firm. You want to remain faithful because where he is going, you also will go. It is a powerful incentive to persevere in the faith and in obedience. So as we come to verse 15, 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. This is a very direct, as direct as you can be, of the 100% God and 100% man, the humanity of Jesus, that he has experienced what we experience. One of the phrases that I hear often, and, and whether it's um, uh, in counseling or just in our culture, is that people say, you just don't understand what I'm going through. You just don't understand what I'm going through. And I want to tell you right here, it says that Jesus understands what you are going through. No matter where you are, what's going on, the difficulty, the struggle. When we think about the sympathizing nature of Jesus, the, word, the Greek word there is a little bit different than just specifically saying sympathize. To sympathize is to mean that you understand. I understand what you're going through. And, and our society loves the word empathize, and, and we rank it much higher. Say, so not only do I know what you feel, or know what you're going through, but I feel along with you what you're going through. Uh, and, but they tend to stop there and to think that that is the, the highest form uh, of, of, of relation that we can have uh, to a person. Well, Jesus goes further in this sentiment by saying, not only does he sympathize, empathize, but he has compassion. That he has compassion. I hope that we are a people and a church that has compassion. Not only do we weep with those who weep, but we walk with people that they may experience the grace and mercy of Jesus. He doesn't just leave you there. He doesn't just leave you saying, I know what you're going through. I feel with you. But he extends grace and mercy so that you may receive confidence to enter in to where he is to be with him. It's an amazing thought to consider that he, he gets us. He truly does. He truly does get us. And at a deeper level than we'll understand. And not only does he get us, but he is able to minister to us exactly what we need. This, this moment, it says that you, you may see, receive grace in your time of need. It's timely that you will experience this. Um, you know, a, a funny story uh, is that I love to play games and board games, table games, that kind of stuff. And, um, but I love to compete. I want to win. Right, like I want to uh, destroy all competitors. In the end, I am uh, kind of like Monopoly. I, I want to have everything and everyone else nothing. I have I have won and conquered uh, the world. Well, my wife is the complete opposite of this. She doesn't enjoy games like that. Uh, she enjoys apples to apples. Um, I, over the years had become greatly frustrated with apples to apples. And then let me explain to you this game. Uh, there's a card, and on this card, it'll say an item or a person or something like that. And then you have some cards, and you pick the one that you like best to go with that. Very subjective. But I found my wife wins at this all the time. I can't win at it. I don't know what's going on. Well, this card game has everything to do with my wife uh, she 
understands the person she's playing with. She thinking how they think and understands the way they understand and connects with the person in the exchange of those things, whether it's in humor or in, in, in direct uh, connection, and thinks like they do. I don't get that. That's a hard stretch for me. I'm like, no, I just want more cards. How do I get more cards? And uh, I think that clearly she has a much better spiritual gift there and, and, and more resembles the nature of God saying that when he, he can sympathize with us in our weakness. But not only does he sympathize, but he does so without sin. That's the difference. That he has done so without sin. That's what sets him apart. That, that what is why we look to him in our time of need. That he is the one who gives us grace. So verse 16, it says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. It is the hope that we can experience the grace of God that we could walk in confidently, not in our work, but in the finished work of Jesus. Let me read for you uh, here a quote from Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly. It says, consider what this means. When we sin, we, we are encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus because he will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly, he doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out the way many of our parents did. And all this restraint on his part is not because he is deluded, has a deluded view of our sinfulness. He knows our sinfulness far more deeply than we do. Indeed, we are aware of just the tip of the iceberg of our depravity. Even in our most searching moments of self-knowledge, his restraint simply flows from his tender heart for his people. Hebrews is not just telling us that instead of scolding us, Jesus loves us. It is telling us the kind love that he has for us. Rather than dispensing grace to us from on high, he gets down with us. He puts his arm around us. He deals with us in a way that is just what we need. He deals gently with us. That Jesus meets us at a personal, in a personal way, in a personal level. Because think about it. What's the goal? That he can bring you into his presence. That that depth of connection and relationship is the goal. So he meets us with that term that we can approach the throne of grace. When we approach the throne of grace, we are approaching Jesus, the mercy seat of Christ, the holy of holies, the presence of God. So his goal is that we can be with him. And so he does so gently, and he does so relationally. Sometimes when we think about sin in our own life and heart, we, we, we equate it to the idea that, that there's kind of these good moments and bad moments. So imagine sin to be a black card and, and, and 
a purity or righteousness to be a white card and we, we work our way through life and, and when we enter into sin on something, on thought or in word uh, or in deed, we, we put up the black card and then the white card is, is times where we do what is right. And that's probably not the best way to think about the depth of, of, of how sin affects us. There are times where clearly we have these, these black card moments but it is better thought of that sin is a tent. It is covering all of what we do. That the sinfulness that is ever around and before us and woven so deeply into what we do, we're not even aware of it at times. And so when we turn to this high priest who gives us grace, we are doing so for the entirety of who we are, that he covers us in his grace. Not only the moments of overt, clear sin, but the entirety of who we are. That our depravity is more than we'll ever know, but his grace is sufficient in that. That we can gain entrance to the throne room of God, not because our work and effort or our own purity or righteousness, but because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. In Matthew 27, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord our Jesus Christ, to whom we also have access, again, access by faith into this grace which we now stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the curtain being torn, that Good Friday message that it is finished, allows us access into the grace of God. The curtain torn into the high priest who has passed through the heavens is there working on our behalf. So as we finish that verse 16, those three verses serve as a hinge for the entirety of the book of Hebrews. And starting in, in verse 1 of chapter 5, we get an exp a deeper explanation of what happens uh, because Jesus is our high priest. And, and it's going to make even more significant what we have heard there in those three verses. And so the first thing that we see is that Jesus is the once and for all high priest. So in verse 1 it says, For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Imagine as a priest to every time having to go back and follow these rhythms of sacrifice and ritual. Again, sin would come and you have to go back again. But yet... There is a once and for all sacrifice for sin that Jesus paid on the cross. That he took on all sin past, all sin present, and all sin future, and he paid for it in the sacrificial death. So the Old Testament sacrificial system from Le Leviticus is a cycle 
that's ongoing. But now you may enter the rest of God. You may enter, as we've studied over the last several weeks, what it means to rest in the finished work of Jesus. He is the forever high priest, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one who offers the gift is also the gift. The priest is also the sacrifice. It's an amazing thought that the priest, the high priest, sacrificed himself in our place and on our behalf. Next, we see that Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus shows that he is better, that he is, yes, passed through the heavens, not just the curtain, that he has gone into the holy of holies, but now into the seating on the throne. But consider this, the high priest had to also make payment and sacrifices for his own sin. So Jesus is a better high priest because he is without sin. I always feel this um, temptation as a pastor that I'm not sure how you want to relate to me. And I've felt this my whole, you know, 20-some years now in ministry. I don't know if you want me to be a priest who seems high and lifted up and, and holy, or if you want me to be a friend that gets you and connects to you and that you feel uh, like a connection towards. And I understand why both of those are good, but I find that I can't be both, right? If I present myself as priest, there's a disconnect that happens. Well, if I present myself as friend, you're going to find out I'm sinful and I'm broken and I'm in need of Jesus. And so, unfortunately, you get the latter, that I am no different. The priesthood of all believers, outside of a calling that I have as a pastor, says that the, the need of a priest is satisfied only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. He is our mediator between God and man. He is our advocate. And he is the one that is high and lifted up. But listen to this. He has compassion on us. He sympathizes with us. So he does both of these. He is the priest that is up, but he is also the one who relates like a brother and friend that is deeply personal and intimate relationship. And the reason why he can do both is because he's the real thing. I'm not. I want to be. I want to point to him. But the reason why he can do both is because he's the real thing. He is a better high priest. Jesus is a better high priest because he can get us to God. Jesus, not that he can tell us where God is, but he can get us to God. Previously in the Old Testament, the high priest could say, well, there's where God is, but you can't go in. And I'm only the one that can go in, and there's only one time a year. You don't get to go in. 
Well, Jesus is a better high priest because he's saying, come with me and enter in and be with me. He is a better high priest. So look to Christ. He deals gently with us. And it is the only way he knows how to be. He is the high priest to end all other high priests. So if you think about it like this, we're familiar with the verse in Revelation that says that Jesus is the Lord of Lord and what? King of kings, right? Well, Jesus is the priest of priests and the Lord of Lord and the King of kings. He is a better high priest. Next, Jesus is a qualified high priest. And this is super cool. I'm excited to, to walk this through with you. Verses 4 through 6 talk about the idea that you are forever a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And in verse 4, it makes reference uh, that you were called, that Jesus was called by God just as Aaron was. And he makes these connections to Aaron, who was the first high priest, and continued on from there all the way up until this time. And then also this connection to uh, to Melchizedek. And, and this, uh, we don't know a lot about this character. It's only in the book of, Gen of Genesis and then a few references here. And then later we're going to look deeper even into this character uh, in, the, in the later chapters of Hebrews. So Hebrews and Genesis. But here's what we do know about uh, this Melchizedek. And it, it just gets me excited to think about. So all that we do know about him is he was the king of a place called Salem. And everyone else, uh, for the most part, believes that Salem is where eventually we get Jerusalem, the city of peace. So he, Salem, here being this king of this city. Now, it's the only time in reference that we get where there is a king who is also a priest. There's a king who is also a priest. And so when they're making reference here that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek, is saying that Jesus is the king and the priest in that line. And so he is the king of kings and the priest of priests, continuing the same idea that he has been qualified and called by God in the order of Aaron, in the order of Melchizedek, to be the high priest and the king of kings. And so when we look at him, we look at him in that way, that he is our king, that he is our priest, because the priest is the one that takes us to the presence of God, that mediates for us. So he is the qualified high priest. It's an amazing thought. Priest and king, Jesus. Next, Jesus is a personal high priest. So go to uh, verse 7 here as we're making our way through. It says, in the days of his flesh, so when he was um, alive and present on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, kind of taken to Gethsemane mentally in that, to him who was able to save from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience 
So when we think of Jesus being a personal high priest, so remember he sympathizes. We're looking back to the end of chapter 4. So, and then also we see that God is constantly praying for us. He is praying and making supplication for others. Uh, we actually find elsewhere in Scripture that, that he is praying and interceding to the Father on our behalf. That, that is extremely a personal priest. Not that he is making a sacrifice for the, the, all of mankind, but somewhat namelessly. No, he is doing specifically with you in mind. Specifically praying for you by name and circumstance. So imagine a priest that is not far off, but one that is personal. One is so intimately involved as our advocate and that he is interceding on our behalf. That he is a personal God and high priest. Number six, as we look to verses eight through ten, let me read them. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Hebrews 2 makes this same reference. For it was fitting that he whom by all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should be the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So when we say that Jesus is the perfect high priest, not only was he sinful, sinless, excuse me, not only was he sinless, but he was also made perfect through suffering. And that, sur that suffering on the cross proved that he was our suffering Savior. So he's made perfect. What, isn't it crazy to think that God was made perfect? Wasn't he already perfect? But he entered in and his sacrifice and experiencing that suffering made him perfect because prior to that, he couldn't say that he could sympathize with us. You with, you with me? Because he hadn't experienced the temptation until he became man. And so when he experienced all the things like we did, he, it says the suffering that he did, experiencing that and his work on the cross made him perfect. And it ends with a beautiful conclusion that he is the source of our, our eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God, high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Again, that he is high priest and king. That Jesus is high priest and king. The source of our salvation. And so as we conclude, I want to draw three takeaways for us. The first is this. That we need to hold fast to our confession. That we need to hold fast to our confession. That we need to hold fast that Jesus is king. 
We need to hold fast that Jesus is Lord. We need to hold fast that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus is God. And in that, it says we will receive this sympathizing experience with our Savior that will then in turn give us confidence. So first, hold fast to our confession. Second, draw near to Jesus who knows where you are and what you need. And I don't say this lightly. I assume that there are many in this room that are walking through challenge, struggle. You're going through things that feel like it's too much. And that life oftentimes feels like that. And the truth is, I don't think you can get through it on your own. You need Jesus to get through it. You need the Spirit of God at work in your life to get through it. Otherwise, it is too much. It is too heavy. It is too challenging. But Jesus is our sympathizing Savior, who is the source of our salvation. And he has compassion on us. And he gives us grace. And he gives us mercy. Lastly, walk in confidence. Walk in confidence in the finished work of Jesus, our high priest and king. So when you look on Jesus, you don't have to do so with your head uh, held down. You don't have to do so by not being able to look directly in the eye, directly at God. But instead, He's saying, I want you to have confidence that when you think of the promises that are due for you in this life and in eternity, that you can be confident that what Jesus said will happen, will happen. And what Jesus has done is true and that you can have confidence when approaching the throne of grace, that you can experience confidence in this life and the life yet to come. But there's a catch. It's not in your work. It's not in your effort. It's not in your ability and talent. But it is purely and entirely in the finished work of our high priest and king, Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we are overwhelmed to think of you as our priest and our king and how so doing just expands the all that we have of you that you have created a way for us to enter into the holy place to enter into your presence father just like the story i shared of being in a room i didn't deserve to be in that father you have through your work made us righteous that we can have confidence as we come to you, that we can have confidence as we think of eternally being with you. So, Father, we trust in you as our high priest and that you also meet us in whatever we're going through, wherever we are, that you meet us and you have sympathy, and that you pray on our behalf. For Father, we, we thank you so much. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you 
have compassion on us and that you give us your grace and that you give us your mercy. Lord Jesus, we're overwhelmed to think of these things. And we thank you so much for your love. Help us to hold fast to our confession, to hold fast to saying Jesus is Lord. Help us to remain faithful in that. We love you and we thank you and we praise you and declare that you are the source of our salvation, not our work, but your finished work, and that you are our high priest and you are the king of kings and Lord of lords. And we praise you in that name of Jesus. Amen.